Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Robert Crane, co-founder and CEO of Talkiatry, a company that's expanding access and reducing the stigma of mental health care. This company started from a personal experience from Robert, which he talks about in this episode. We go through not only why this company exists, but how Robert has gone about building it. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Various Search, a boutique legal recruiting firm that uses a bespoke approach to fill legal department roles from general counsel to paralegal. They have a particular focus on startups and growing tech companies. This focus allows them to provide individualized in-depth attention to both their clients and their searches. They focus solely on placing in-house candidates, which allows them to give their clients a bespoke experience in filling their legal needs. Their matchmaking approach ensures that clients are paired with candidates who not only have great credentials, but who are also a good cultural fit for a growing company. You can learn more about Various Search at VariousSearch.com. That's V-A-R-I-A Search.com. Again, VariousSearch.com. Without further ado, here is Robert Crane, co-founder and CEO of Talkiatry. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you on and very, very relevant uh, time to have you on given that we're in a global pandemic. Hopefully we're seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel now, but what are you doing with Talkiatry right now? Tell me about the company. Yeah, so Talkiatry uh, really has a couple of main focuses, but um, the reality is is to increase the accessibility of mental health care, and not just mental health care in general, but specifically psychiatry, right? There's a very small number of psychiatrists in the country, um, you know, roughly 30,000, um, and there's 550,000 mental health professionals. So psychiatry is a very small subset, but typically they're dealing with patients um, you know, who have illnesses that require medication or medication management to some extent. So really what we want to do is try to bring top doctors um, that previously have never been accessible on an outpatient basis. Usually they spend their entire careers um, in an inpatient or hospital-based setting and make them accessible to patients on an uh, outpatient basis um, and on in-network basis. So we've partnered with every major insurance company in the country to make this happen. Um and really, uh, what we've done is not only brought the providers, but developed proprietary technology layered on top of it to make sure that you know patients get diagnosed appropriately, um, but then also they get matched with the appropriate provider through a proprietary algorithm that we have um, that uses more than you know 50 different touch points to make sure that when you do meet a provider, you know that's the appropriate person uh, to treat you. Um, and obviously, with you know the stigma in mental health care and how difficult it is to find a provider, um, if you if you finally get a provider who's in network and they're not a good fit, it's really a huge letdown and it's a very difficult process to start over. So even if we're not a good fit, um, you know we we take the good citizen approach um, and work with you, um, you know to get referrals and to get the appropriate level of care and educate you really if it's if it's needed um, yeah. because for a lot of patients you know we're the first touch point in mental health care so even if that help is not with us you know the goal is to educate educate the patient and um, try to get them there yeah and it's obviously so needed especially now i mean like we said because it's just the relevancy of what's going on in the world but how did this company get started in the first place robert yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, in 2016, I had a home invasion in my apartment here in New York City, um, and my fiance was with me at the time. 
And, um, you know, the apartment building only had four apartments uh, per floor. And it was it was a neighbor, actually, who did the home invasion right before Christmas. And it was a pretty traumatic experience, to be to be quite honest. Um, and a friend of mine, um, you know, recommended that I go and speak to someone about it. And, you know, I had never um, gone to seek mental health uh, care before. And I thought, you know, listen, it's it's just like any other uh, you know, any any other specialty, I've got United Healthcare. This should this should be no problem. So I went about trying to find a psychiatrist who was in network and had availability. And very, very quickly I realized that it was almost impossible. It's a very daunting task. You know, people who I reached out to, um, they didn't have websites, you had to just call a number and <laughs> inquire and they they either weren't taking new patients or they weren't in network anymore. Um, and it was just there was just no transparency in the process at all. And I finally made an appointment with someone who was out of network, um, and the fee was $400 for an initial visit. Jeez. And thankfully, you know, I had the ability to pay for it at the time. Um, so I made the appointment, and the receptionist um, who called me didn't really care about the reason why I was coming or if I had questions. She just wanted to make sure that I was, you know, okay with paying that $400 up front, which I was. And then I get to the doctor's office, and it was in kind of a, a you know, below ground level, you know, uh, large building in, in Manhattan. And there was no, it was just a kind of a solid door. So I couldn't really see what was on the other side of it. <laughs> and there was, you know, seven doorbells on the wall with tape underneath each one with a doctor's name scrawled on it. And I thought, this is just so odd, you know, yeah. and, um, I, I found the, the doorbell with my doctor's name on it and I hit the button and nothing happened. And I thought, so, so I waited a few minutes and then I just walked in, right? Not knowing what I'm going into because there's just a solid wood door. I didn't know if I'm walking into an office with another patient. And I walk in, there's just a couch. There's no, there's no receptionist. There's, there's like a couple of old magazines on this old table that looks like someone picked it up off Craigslist. And I sat there and eventually, you know, 10 minutes later, you know, the doctor came out and got me and it, it just, it, it, I felt like I was in somebody else's office space. It wasn't his and it was just, um, it was uncomfortable, you know, and mental health care is already uh, it's kind of, you know, historically has a stigma attached with it and you're already uncomfortable. And uh, this really whole experience from start to finish really didn't do anything to make me feel better or it didn't provide an environment for me to feel comfortable talking about anything in or, or you know, for people who, you know, have more serious issues to get better in. And I thought, you know, this is, um, this is crazy because I know other specialties like dermatology, um, and radiology and other things, you know, have infrastructure around them on an outpatient basis. So I said, you know, my background was in finance um, and I was a professional investor for, you know, five years before I started Talkiatry, investing in companies like this. Um, and I knew that um, there were there were companies that, that could do this. And I set out to figure why no one had done it in psychiatry. And I found it's incredibly difficult to do, you know, for, for a multitude of reasons, which I'm happy to get into in a moment. But um, that's kind of the beginning of the story of, of Talkiatry and, and my personal kind of quest to do it. And I thought that I had, you know, not only a drive to be able to try and accomplish this, but also, you know, um, the understanding of how companies like this are structured to comply with corporate practice of medicine to really try and do it. And I was, I was excited for the next step in my career. And, um, you know, Takayoshi was something I can really kind of um, sign up for and, uh, you know, really make my life's work. Yeah. And I want to go through that from having the idea, obviously having a terrible experience and then understanding that there's a problem here and there's, there's a gap potentially. Take me through the research side of it when you're thinking through, okay, let's do research around, is this a big enough need for other people? Uh, is this an opportunity where I can start a business? What did that consist of for you, Robert? 
Yeah, so it started us trying to figure out, you know, who was doing something similar to this, but in other specialties, right? Because if you want to make sure that something like this is done, you know, you can look at dermatology, you can look at um, dentistry, you can look at other specialties and see how they do it. And then see, you know, why uh, something in this specialty, specifically psychiatry, would or wouldn't work. So what I wanted to figure out first was why nobody had done this, you know, because that's going to show me the problems that I'm going to have to overcome when I, right. Right. And, um, you know, there was a ton of reasons, right. Uh, whether it's from the fact that, um, corporate practice of medicine law from a legal standpoint does not make it easy to do this structure in mental health care, where it does make it a much easier in other specialties that have equipment and other things. So that was a hurdle that we had to kind of get past and you have to re-engineer some of these agreements and the way that, you know, historically these, these things have been done before to make it work in kind of the, the new normal, um, and then the other side of it is, listen, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, right? So the fact that, you know, I have to go and learn about psychiatry to the point where I can learn to fix their problems is not an easy thing to do. And it took a considerable amount of time. It took, you know, a considerable amount of time understanding psychiatrists. And to be quite honest with you, it took a psychiatrist partner um, who really had that level of expertise. And, and, you know, I can't stress enough how important it was for talkiatry um, you know, to have Dr. Georgia Guevaras really join as, our, as my co-founder very, very early on, uh, it wouldn't have been possible, you know, because she's someone who lives it every day. And so she and I can talk about problems and come up with solutions, you know, from two different mindsets. So it was a lot of research. It was a lot of trial and error. And it was a lot of education, to be quite honest with you. Education from psychiatrists to let them know that something like this was possible or it's never been done before, right? Um, yeah from our insurance partners to let them know, you know, why we're different to be able to get attractive contracts to make this work. Um, and education, you know, for patients to let them know that something like this is available to them. So um, it was a lot, but that was kind of high level, some of the things that we went through in the beginning. How did you convince her to, to join you? <laughs> I'm curious. You know, it, it didn't take a lot of convincing, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it was a mutual friend, and um, she previously was the director of the Comprehensive Psychiatric Emergency Program at Kings County, and um, she was having a bad day at work, like many psychiatrists have um, more, more, more often than other specialties. And, um, you know, she, she thought it sounded extremely refreshing, and uh, it piqued her interest. And it's what happens to a lot of psychiatrists. You know, they see it and they go... I don't, I've never heard of something like this and it sounds really interesting. I need to find out what it is. And once I spoke to her about what we're trying or what I was hoping to accomplish and what, what I thought that psychiatry could become, you know, a few years from now, which is, you know, really collaborative care and things that we're not currently doing that have a massive tailwind behind them in terms of fixing the accessibility and, and um, connectivity and integration between physical and behavioral health. It was something that, you know, she had spent 18 years working on, you know, and the yeah. fact that she, there was someone there who was speaking her language, who had an understanding and that who had a path to be able to accomplish this um, really was something that she thought uh, was worth it to to try and see if it's something that that worked. And thankfully, obviously, it's worked out very well. But, um, yeah, it didn't take a ton of convincing. It's more it's more education and, and them understanding that you know, you're the real deal because they, they're going to school, you know, for eight years, right? Whether it's residency, whether it's med school, and then they could potentially do fellowships. And so they've spent years honing their craft and um, they want to make sure that the people that they are signing up to work with share the insight, the frustrations that they have had and um, goals for the future. 
And so keeping that in line is incredibly important. And with this as well, you mentioned the insurance side of it, and that's a huge piece of this. How did you go about approaching different insurance companies and getting them to be on board as partners? Yeah, so so we're we're contracted with every major insurance company in the country: Cigna, Aetna, Humana, Blue Cross Blue Shield, um, and United Healthcare. So the big five, basically, which which controls the majority of the market, and also some smaller ones, you know, in the New York metro area. And persistence. I don't know how else to say it. It's persistence. It's persistence with politeness. You know, you can't be you if you're not getting the appropriate answers, right? You have to be um, you have to be considerate and you have to be understanding, but you have to be persistent to make sure that you're getting to the right people who can understand, you know, the value that you're bringing to the table. And listen, you know, if that is somehow connecting with the CEO of one of the major health insurance companies and getting on their calendar to get to the right person. Um, what that's what we did, you know. Um, and, and once you get that seat at the table, you really have to have a compelling argument and have thought, you know, from an insurance company standpoint, what are the struggles that insurance companies are facing? And there's a lot, you know, in behavioral healthcare and in psychiatry um, specifically, right? They rely on data. They're data-driven companies, whether that's how they figure out um, capitation tables for, um, you know, insurance rates uh, and fee schedules. They're driven by data. And what they're seeing is that the cost to treat a patient with a behavioral health and physical comorbidity, which means they've got a physical condition at the same time as a, as a behavioral health condition, it costs three times more to treat that patient than if they just had physical um, issues alone. And so they know it costs, it costs a lot of money and they're trying to figure out ways to solve that. And that comes in a multitude of different avenues, whether that's accessibility, whether that's collaboration of care, but also whether it's, can you provide them data? You know, believe it or not, 55% of psychiatrists do not use a certified EHR system, which is an electronic health record. So if you're not using an EHR, there's no way to collate data to figure out what's going on with your patient populations, right? So not only that as a huge issue, but then 45% of psychiatrists don't even accept insurance, period. And so the insurance companies are saying, how do I, I know it's a problem that I need to solve and I need the data, not only the data behind it, but I need the accessibility of it as well. And we need long-term partners that share our goals with collaborative care and all other things that have the ability and the drive to do it. And so education is important. And then lastly, it's being able to communicate everything I just said to someone else. Right. If you have the greatest idea in the world, but you can't effectively communicate it and have it come across in a reasonable manner, it's it's not it's no good. So you really need kind of that trifecta of you need access to the people making the decision. You need, obviously, the solid idea having been well thought out about why they would be interested in something like this and how you can accomplish it. And then you need someone who can effectively communicate it to that person and get buy in from them, you know. And and with that, then having the biggest, you know, insurance providers on board, though, how did you start? Did you, I mean, strategically just say, Hey, I'm going to just message every single CEO on, on, on LinkedIn. Like how did you like tactically go about it? I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, every, every uh, insurance company is different, right? So from a tactical standpoint, uh, I don't necessarily like to call it tactical, but from a strategic standpoint, right. Sure. Um, it starts off with trying to reach out to, um, you know, their insurance panels of people who are in your local area who handle the credentialing, you know, um, and then see what you get from that. 
and continue to raise it up the food chain. And, you know, listen, if you can reach out to other people who know people at the company who can, you know, introduce you or other areas of the company who you might have a mutual connection with. Yes. At the end of the day, selling, sending a compelling message to someone senior in the company. Right. But you've got to be very careful because if you're saying the wrong thing in that email, you're never going to go anywhere, period, with the entire company. Right. So it's a risky proposition to email someone directly and you've got to make sure that you have the confidence and and you're confident in yourself, right? And your ability to communicate that message so you don't shut the door forever, right? So it's, it's a tricky thing to be, to be able to do it. Um, but you've got to be willing to take the risk, uh, in my opinion, um, knowing that you've got something that they are interested in. With this as well, who was the first one you got? Dr. Gavaris. That, that's, the, that's, the, that's the biggest one, the, first, the most important one. You know, she's my co-founder. Would have been possible without her. Um, and then we have, you know, then we had a, a group of five providers who started with us first um, back in April. And now we've grown to 18 providers. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're hiring for our, our next office opening in June. We have um, many residents. Um, we have quite a few of, of, the, of the chief residents um, in uh, the psychiatry residency programs throughout the New York metro area joining us next year. Um, and I think what's important is we built the business to cater to psychiatrists specifically. Yeah. And so that means that we're trying to attract very, very high quality psychiatrists. And I'll give you a quick example of two of them and why it's so important. So we recently hired a director of child and adolescent psychiatry named Dr. Elise Perlmutter, right? She was previously um, the chairperson for behavioral health um, and substance use treatment at Bergen Newbridge, which is the largest hospital in New Jersey. It's got over a thousand beds and um, spent her entire career in institutional medicine, all right, so over 30 years. And she previously ran residency programs, you know, at Montfiore, for example, in New York City. So if you bring someone over that's got such high caliber as that, you can, eat, you, you, you can hire additional people who've worked with her before. And if they say, listen, I've worked for this person at a hospital, so I'm comfortable if they're going to talk iatry, you know, I feel comfortable working for them there. And when you start getting senior level psychiatrists, because you're, they're not joining unless you're focused on psychiatry, right? You've got to have a, you got to be hyper-focused on the medicine. You got to be hyper-focused um, on the, on the clinical aspect of the business. Otherwise they're not going to join, right? They're not, they are very highly educated um, employees and partners and they do their diligence, you know? And so if you can't, if you can't attract high caliber psychiatrists, it's going to be very difficult to attract any psychiatrist at all because they want to work for places that are going to be respected institutionally, right? From the hospital that they went, that they came from. So Dr. Perlmutter um, was a great hire for her. We put out a press release um, a few weeks ago, um, speaking of that, but another hire that's also in that press release is uh, a gentleman named Dr. Georgius Morose. He retired in 2018. Okay, so we brought him out of retirement because <laughs> the opportunity was so interesting to him. Um, he has a very interesting career from our standpoint. He has a, he had a dual career, right? Part of it was a, a clinical psychiatrist, spent about 15 years doing that, and then he spent another 25 years developing psychiatric medications that we prescribe today at Pfizer, at Roche, at Lilly, and so getting access, not only from a patient standpoint, right, patients never have access to of someone like this who developed the medication that he could potentially be prescribing. And you're asking him those questions. You don't have access to a guy like that. And even if you did, it, you, it wouldn't be through your insurance plan costing you nothing, right? So right. 
that's important from a patient standpoint. However, it's also incredibly important from a psychiatrist standpoint to be able to learn and be able to speak to someone like that is a learning opportunity that you don't get anywhere. I mean, even in hospitals, sometimes you just don't get it and you definitely don't get it on an outpatient basis. So, you know, continuing to um, be able to attract providers of that caliber is extremely important to us. From that then, how are you looking at the customer acquisition side of things in terms of getting the word out about telchiatry to you know the patients themselves? Yeah, so customer acquisition in mental health care is interesting because it's extremely low. There is a structural shortage of psychiatrists in the country. And so that leads to um, a significant amount of demand that even if every psychiatrist in the country was in-network would be unable to meet. So the constrained resource is really the mental health professional and not necessarily the patient. Um, so obviously, you know, we're trying to make sure we're getting the right patients for our providers. Um, making, and that, that really means making sure that the provider is capable of treating the patient because, you know, some patients are, are better uh, suited for, um, you know, relationship-focused therapy. Some, some are better suited for a partial hospitalization program or, you know, rehabilitation of some sort, right, uh, or a clinic setting. And we want to make sure that they're going to the right place and we don't want to waste their time by attracting patients who we can't assist. And so the customer acquisition then takes on a, a bit of a different approach rather than focused on how cheaply can we acquire patients, which is not how we look at it. It's how can we effectively, um, you know, attract the patients who we have the expertise to treat. And that's how we that's how we look at customer acquisition costs. So then from that's like kind of more of the top level side of things. So that's the vision of how you go about it. Where, I mean, is it typical, like the typical channels? Are you finding different ways to reach people? Because uh, the customer acquisition side of things is always fascinating to me in terms of how startups become creative around that. <laughs> I'd be curious to know more. Yeah. So listen, I mean, being, being in network with every major health insurance company is important when you're talking about this, because most people, even still today, when they look for a psychiatrist who's in network, they go and they start with their insurance company's website put in their zip code and, and find a list of psychiatrists, right? So we want to make sure that our profiles are consistent, you know, across, across our entire web presence. And that's a project that's ongoing that we're going to continually optimize. We're actually in the middle of a big project to optimize it now and have it plugged in so that these things update automatically. You know, as search engines and different things change their algorithms, we want to make sure that our profiles are consistent you know, across all of these different mediums to make sure that if a patient searches in one place, it looks exactly the same as if they search in a different place and not, well, I see that you treat X on this website, but treat Y on that website. So our providers, you know, are constantly changing in terms of what they feel comfortable treating um, and what they have of space or availability for. And we want to make sure that that's updated. So, um, you know, the insurance company's website are obviously extremely important. We have our own proprietary, you know, marketing uh, platform that we use. Um, you know, whether that is to make sure that our, um, you know, our website is appropriately suited for Google's new algorithms, uh, to making sure that our listings are, um, you know, set up appropriately across various different search engines. And, um, you know, that's one of the main ways. And then, um, you know, it's, it's word of mouth, to be quite honest with you. If you do it correctly, word of mouth is um, the bulk of what you actually need. You know, so if you're getting referrals from other psychiatrists, um, you know, that's huge, right? You, you, we get referrals from psychiatrists just because they don't, the patient doesn't want to pay out of pocket and they want something in network, not because, you know, the patient's not a good fit for them. Um, people know that, listen, you know, either my panel is full or I don't accept insurance. The only place I know to send you that I feel comfortable will take care of you is talkiatry. 
Um, yeah. so, so go there. And we get a ton of referrals from whether it's from institutional settings, whether it's from other large separate practices. You're talking about urgent care, you're talking about primary care, very, very large national practices in the New York metro area. Um, and, and even other telemedicine businesses that do, you know, teletherapy or telemedicine, you know, from a psychiatry standpoint, we get referrals from them. Um, and, and that really means to us, and it's because we're good doctors first, right? Um, and so if you've got that, then you're, you're more than two thirds of the way there. And with this as well, Robert, you have this idea that came from an, a crazy experience that you had, and then you, you've got people on board that were experts and were able to help you out. How have you funded this business along the way? Yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, it is sweat equity, obviously, and internal funding. <laughs> so we didn't bring any out, out um, you know, outside funding in to start the business. Um, so it was a great, a great thing for me um, that I had um, the means to, to get this started um, and accomplish what we have today. So we've, we've taken no outside funding. It's been entirely bootstrapped. Um, and part of it, was yes, putting in seed capital, but the other part of it was coming from a financial background, making sure that the financial, uh, the financial engineering side of this was set up appropriately from a cash flow perspective. Which is a lot of startups, you know, don't focus on it, right? They just I'm going to burn a ton of cash and that's it. Psychiatry <laughs> was not set up that way. You know, it was set up in a way that you know the individual offices are profitable, and if we want to burn capital at the corporate level for you know growth or whatever it is, you know, that's a separate thing that we can turn on and turn off. And, but the underlying business is, is very profitable. And, um, you know, we set it up that way, you know, for a reason. One, because we want to make sure that our, our providers are compensated accordingly, you know. Um, and I would argue that we pay at the top of the market, which is what we, what we aim to do, uh, because this is built specifically for psychiatrists. Um, and we're getting to the stage now that we are, you know, raising uh, a round of capital um, so that we can kind of continue this growth on a much faster pace. Now that we have a fully functioning platform um, that really needs no additional pieces to be proven out, right? We've, we've proven out the model. We have 18 providers. We're going to have close to 40 by the middle of next year. Um, and we'd like to continue that growth. And we'd like to continue the investment in some proprietary technology that we're building. Um, and that's why we're going, to, going out to raise some capital now. But we don't need to raise the capital to continue to grow. It's only because we want to grow faster than we would otherwise be able to do. Yes, the glory of capital. It does. It does give you that that ability, but it's a very intentional decision on sure. part of obviously you and everyone else uh, who's making that decision. But taking a little bit of a step back with this, you this, you're a first time founder, correct? Correct. How has that transition been from you, from being an employee at a company to being a founder of a startup? You know, um, it's been very interesting. It's been very freeing. Um, so in my old role, you know, um, I was an, uh, a VP, um, you know, doing investments at a credit hedge fund here in um, New York. And I had my I had a large you know, portfolio, um, but it was still managed at a higher level. So even if I had a good idea, there was some freedom to look into it. However, you know, I had you know, risk parameters that I had to live by. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if it, even if it was a good idea, um, you know, the fund had different ideas about, you know, whether how would this look publicly, if it's not something we normally invest in, and it makes a lot of money, you know, things like that, that that to me, um, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with. Um, and this gave me the opportunity to say, listen, you know, I, I think, one of the things that I've, I wanted to say in this um, in this, this this podcast was something that I think is very very important, and th- talkiatry allowed me to do this, which is 
uh, you have to be so convinced that you are correct. But in the back of your mind, always know that you are potentially wrong. <laughs> and, you know, you have to be open that someone could convince you that you're incorrect. And you have to be open to understand that, yes, I'm incorrect. Now let's change it. And that's kind of one of the most important things where if you can't convince me that I'm wrong, you know, I don't believe that I'm wrong, but you have to be open to be convinced that you're wrong. So I will always entertain uh, discussions, whether it's from all of the providers who are partners with me, who I work with, whether it's from my billing staff, my front desk staff, whether it's from, you know, outside people who bring questions to my attention. And the goal is I'm either going to convince you or you're going to convince me. It's not going to be we're going to part ways necessarily. Right. And so that's something that I've lived by that joy, you know, starting Talkiatry has allowed me to flourish that idea. Uh, it goes to everything from the way that we design offices and our offices are designed from scratch. We, we go into buildings that are completely gutted. You know, there's no electrical, there's no HVAC. I mean, there's absolutely nothing but concrete. And we design it from scratch. And you have to have a vision in your head about how this is going to look. And if there's so many cooks in the kitchen, it's never going to come out a way that everybody, that anyone got what they're looking for. And I figure that I'd rather take the blame for something not working out than, you know, put it on someone else. But yeah. I have to be aware that even though I've got this vision in my head, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a billing director of a hospital. Okay. So these people are smarter than me in various areas and I need to listen to them. And they're either going to convince me to change something or I'm going to convince them to try something new. And it's a fun thing to do. And, and a lot of good ideas and collaboration come out of that. From that as well, then you, you, I understand you're yeah, obviously being a first time founder. So a little challenge in terms of an adjustment in, in that as well, but then you also have COVID that hit and having oh, yeah. to deal with that, any founder, yeah. it's been a challenge for, right. Especially even the first oh, time yeah. founder, how have you approached this, uh, navigate this insane situation? You just have to be flexible. I don't know how else to really say it. You know, you can't, you have to have options always. Um, when we launched, you know, we would always plan to have, um, you know, training done in person. And we were having trainers kind of fly in uh, for some of our technology to, to kind of show it to the providers. And, you know, at the last minute, we had to, um, you know, do it remotely. Um, and, it, and it took longer, you know, it did take longer, and it wasn't as smooth. Um, and then, you know, the next time you do it, and the next time you train a provider, you've got a different way to do it, a more streamlined approach. Um, and, uh, you know, we always had physical office space, but uh, COVID-19 caused a delay in opening that office. Um, so that means our front office staff, our billing staff, again, had to work remotely. And, you know, the good thing about being a first time founder and being a consumer before is you'd always approach ideas saying, well, why don't why don't they do this or why don't they use that, you know, and being able to try it out. And so, you know, technology has really helped us um, solve that issue without being able to work necessarily in person all the time. And a good example of that is we always had the ability to do telemedicine. And we had never thought of it as our primary mode of um, practicing medicine, right? It was always going to be an adjunct when people travel, when providers are sick or can't make it to the office for continuity of care purposes. But because we had the foresight really to make sure that we had that available, when COVID happened, it was streamlined for us to just switch into that 100% of the time because it was not safe at the time to see patients in person. So I think, again, flexibility and making sure that you're thinking about what could happen and being able to adapt very quickly. And that comes with a lean leadership team, right, to be able to make those changes in a quick manner and not have, you know, a million people have to kind of 
put their inputs or sign off on it is um, helpful and allowed us to make a lot of changes very early on um, to, to, to make sure that everything went smoothly. One of the things I'm wondering about too, and especially with, with first-time founders, is just how have you gone about investing in yourself, learning, growing? Where do you go to? I'm curious as to how you've approached it. I talk to a lot of people. Uh, you know, I, I love to read, um, but I love to read. I go in, down wormholes, you know, so if there's something that I'm working on, I'll, I'll, I'll stay up until, you know, two o'clock in the morning reading about it. And I'll wake up in the morning thinking about it until I get it. And then something will just click and come to me. And then I'll go to the experts that I've kind of, you know, been able to um, form relationships with in founding Talkiatry and really um, now come to them with a solution or to an interesting question that I've already thought a lot about. And generally, these are things that they're saying, oh, well, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Or that's so new. I, I didn't think about that. And that's interesting. Um, so I think just being able to devour something that comes uh, up and quickly be able to strip it down and get to what the facts are, you know, what the question is and what the potential answers are and what are the pros and cons of each one is something that I learned very early on. Um, for my investing career, you know, what ideas are worth worth your time and which ideas are not worth your time and, and why or why not, you know, what are what's the potential of each one. And so that's something that I've kind of brought into talk Iatry, which something that comes up where we're able to kind of analyze it very quickly and prioritize it um, and then and then just kind of dig through it, to be quite honest with you. Well, to just dive deeper into that, because I'm, I'm really curious with the side of that you've been an investor and now as a founder, then in making all these decisions, I mean, what goes into your decision-making process or what does that consist of? Because that is ultimately why, you know, you're guiding the way for this company. What goes into that side of things? You mentioned a little bit, but I'd be curious to know more. Yeah. I mean, the decision-making process is really fluid based on the decision itself. Um, you know, some things have timelines or deadlines, whether it's contracts with insurance companies and things that have to get prioritized before others. Um, and it's really just trying to figure out what part of the business is it is it impacting? And is that part of the business prioritized at the moment? You know, so and that, and that could be, listen, is it a billing issue with, um, you know, credentialing from an insurance company where your contract could, could you know, you might have to pull it? You know, that's that has serious business level percussions that go on, not just on the billing side, but to the patients you're currently seeing that have that insurance, right? Um, you know, all of these different things. So I think it's prioritizing it is key, trying to figure out, you know, which issue is is important from the, the separate issue part of it, but then also from a business perspective and strategically, which area of the business are you focused on? Because you can't, you know, be focused on every single one 100% <laughs> of the time. Um and then kind of just analyzing it. I mean, it, it really depends on the problem, to be quite honest with you. I think one of the things I've learned is that there is no approach that you can do for every single problem, in my opinion, and come out with, you know, follow these guidelines and you're going to get the right answer. <laughs> and it's more of just extremely fluid. You need to involve people to collaborate uh, and, and bounce ideas off of, and they need to be smart people and they need to be different thinkers than you are. Um, and it's just what's what's the biggest problem at any point in time because you know when you have a startup there's a ton of fires always to put out but you got to prioritize them. Yeah, and I don't know if you follow Shane Parrish from Farnham Street, but having different mental models and having different tools essentially to use in different situations is really what it's all about. Because to your point, you're never going to have 
one thing that works for everything. I mean, that's just not how it works, especially as a, a startup. I mean, there's so many different issues and having talked to a couple hundred founders now at this point, I see such, I mean, there's just definitely patterns and trends, but there's all at the same time within each company is is minute differences and differences in the business models they have and the industries they, they, they operate in. And that changes how you'll make a decision. And also the timing on it. It's like, what kind of burn do you have left? And there's so many different things that go into that. And yeah. one of the things you had mentioned earlier, I want to come back to quick. I know you said uh, you haven't had to take outside capital yet, but you're obviously considering that for further growth. How are you looking at the potential investors you would like to bring on board or what are you even looking for in the investors you'd potentially want to bring on board? We're looking for like-minded individuals, right? So part of this, you know, obviously when you, when you have a for-profit business, part of it is always, you know, profitability. But then when you're doing something um, in the medical field, it's, uh, it's got a whole different side of it, you know, and you have to do what's right and appropriate for not only the providers, but for the patients. And um, money is important, you know, for sure. Uh, but we're trying to do something that has really never been done on a massive scale across the entire country that can have the ability to really solve the mental health crisis and crunch that we're seeing come up in America. And it's it's not something that you can do behind a financial model, right? It's, yeah. You have to be out. You have to be dealing with people. You have to be dealing with providers. You have to have people buy into your idea, not from a financial standpoint, but from this makes sense and that it's profitable is great, but the business has such huge social impact beyond that, that I am incredibly interested, not from a financial perspective, but of course they are, but I'm, I'm incredibly interested to just see this work and see you solve the problem. And the fact that it's, you know, it, it makes a lot of financial sense and it has a lot of uh, potential, um, you know, whether it's unicorn or whatever status that they're looking at at the time is great. But we're looking for people who want to dive into, you know, the clinical, the, the people side of this, because this business is driven by people. Um, it's it's our customers. It's our, you know, not customers, but patients. It's yeah. our providers, right? And if you don't have them, the business, uh, you don't have the business. And so we're looking for people who are like-minded from that perspective. We're looking for people who are not going to sacrifice or push us to sacrifice the quality of medicine for a few um, percentage points in profitability or margin. It's incredibly important to us. You know, we, can we do that when we optimize it later on? Yes, there's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. Having a doctor work 15 minutes to see a patient is the wrong way to do it. And <laughs> we've seen it time and time again um, in other specialties, you know, in other practices, and um, it's just not something we're gonna do. And so if that's something that the um, investor is looking for, they're not a good fit for us. We'll, we're, we're fine with the capital that we've got. And we've been lucky that we have um, a few very, very good and like-minded, um, you know, investors who we're speaking to um, that align with that. And what you find is that, you know, those people either typically come from a medical background um, or, you know, have, have either working in insurance companies before or part of insurance companies currently um, or were providers in another specialty themselves or they're people who you know, uh, mental health has is an issue that has touched them in their personal life at some point. Um, and we find that those are the best people that understand what we're trying to do at this time um, that we're raising capital because they understand that there's a duality to this, which is there's a financial side and there's a human aspect. Um, and you can't sacrifice the human aspect for the financial aspect. On the note of mental health, for you, what does it look like today in terms of how you recharge away from work and also in really invest in your, your own mental health? 
it's a great question. Um, there's always things that I would love to do more. A good friend of mine, um, he swims every morning, right? Um, and that's something I would I would love to do. <laughs> but I, 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 every time I wake up, there's something I, 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 I would rather be thinking or doing. Or if I do swim, I'm like I'm thinking of something in my head, saying, "Oh well, I got to figure this out. I'm gonna I'm gonna forget it." And I find myself wanting to get to a computer very very quickly, um, which is you know it's, listen, it's it's good and it's bad. I think what's important for me, absent being able to do things like that to recharge, it is to um, get it a lot of sleep, right? I mean, I I generally um, try to unless I'm kind of going down a wormhole with an idea, generally try to get in bed by you know 11 p.m. and I'm up you know at, at kind of seven o'clock. Um, but I generally try to get a lot of sleep. That's something that's incredibly important to me personally. I've just find that my body doesn't do well with not a lot of sleep. I mean, it's got weird effects, whether it's, you know, my eye is really itchy or, you know, just different <laughs> things. I, you know, it's just, it's just, my body doesn't do well without, I've always been that way. So I think it's different for every person and to find the specific thing that makes you be able to function at hundred percent the next day is important. So for me, it is, you know, eating food that my fiance cooks for me and being able to enjoy that with her after I get home from work, whether it's at eight o'clock at night or whenever it is. Um, and we have two dogs as well. So being able to spend quality time with them um, at home is something that's incredibly important to me. Um, so generally prioritize that over, you know, traveling or going to the gym and things like that. But listen, in a perfect environment, I would have much more um much more gym time or things like that in here. It's just not, you know, it's not possible at the moment. Yeah, it can be a huge challenge. And being a, a former personal trainer in, in another life, I uh, I know that I've had that same issue with with many different clients I've worked with. And it's always a matter of kind of decreasing the amount of uh, minimum time you spend. And then on the note of sleep, because it's kind of more fresh in my mind and the episode will be live by the time this goes live, uh, I, I interviewed Mateo, who's the so co-founder and CEO of 8Sleep, which I'm not sure if you've heard of it before, but 8Sleep um, is really the sleep health uh, company. And they focus entirely on that and their mattresses for anyone who's really focusing on sleep. They basically change temperatures at thermoregulation within the mattresses. It changed temperatures throughout the night to give you optimal sleep. And their whole goal is to really optimize the, you know, that, that whatever time you do get at night and whether it be six hours, eight hours, nine hours that you're getting the most out of that. I feel like people like you are who need this, especially, uh, cause that is your main focus is getting enough sleep. Uh, it does seem something like, uh, to consider. And, and one of the other things I'm just wondering, before we kind of uh, go here, it's just, I know you mentioned kind of things on the mental health side and talking to a lot of people, but are there any particular books, blogs, websites, anything that have been kind of helpful for you along the way as a founder? That's a great question. Um, and it's so anecdotal because there's been so many, but there's not one in particular. I think that you have to just be open to what people are publishing in, in whatever aspect they're publishing in, whether it's reading their Medium blog whether that is, um, you know, reading articles that come out in kind of the industry rags, for example, in psychiatry, whether it's the American Psychiatric Association, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're very focused on what um, the Center for Medicaid Services uh, does in terms of, you know, uh, reimbursements uh, in different specialties. Um, and you just really have to find experts on each individual topic to focus on it. Um, from a uh, from a social media standpoint, right, I try to focus my social media on Reddit rather than, you know, Instagram or Facebook. I don't have TikTok. Um, only because I find it just more informational, right? Regardless if it's related to my specific startup or not, I feel like there's there's a wealth of, of, of course, junk on there, but also of, <laughs> of good information. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's interesting to, to, to read those comments and get a little bit more educational content 
um, than scrolling through pictures. The, the other quick thing, just to go back to the sleep thing for a mention uh, for a quick second, one thing that I, I would always encourage people to try, and it's hard to do, right? Unless you're in charge of your own schedule, not get woken up with an alarm clock. Mm. So it's one of the best things I've ever done, which is I wake up when I wake up, you know, and my body has trained itself to kind of wake up around 7 a.m. But there is no alarm clock because I used to have this, you know, app on my phone that tracked my sleep patterns and what, you know, whether I was in REM sleep or not and, and wake me up at a time that's most opportune. Um, and I, I really like that idea. And I want to take it even a step further by saying, well, I'm going to wake up when I wake up, you know, and, and I, I generally wake up around 6.30 to 7.15. Um, but that has really had a massive impact on my day, just generally, just not not having to be woken up at a specific time and let your body decide how much time it needs to recoup and when it's ready to, to go. Um, so I would encourage people to try that. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it necessarily, but um, uh, I would do that. Yeah. And on that note, I mean, it, it's definitely something where if you, you have to have a long-term vision and approach around that uh, of understanding how that helps you sustain. And the more I talk to founders who are further along, I've, I mean, I've talked to founders who have raised a series B who, you know, are, have even gone public and they figure that out way more. <laughs> they understand yeah. more of the, the longer term game, especially if they're, you know, some of these people I've talked to are on the, you know, their third company, fourth company yeah. over the course of three decades. And it's like, oh, they get it. Like you, you, you have to play a long game. And it's so hard to, to think of that when you're in the moment, you're just like, well, I have all this stuff to do. I need to do all these things, but it, it is a long-term play on that side as well. And as we kind of wrap things up here, I know you've talked a little bit about it already, but just give me one more chance like to mention, like, what is the, the huge grand vision for what this company becomes? So Talkiatry would be not only the brand of psychiatry and mental health in general in the United States, um, but it would be a um, massive factor on the integration in the integration between behavioral and physical health. Um, they already have a ton of connection. Um, behavioral health has been siloed for a significant period of time. Um, but as more and more research comes out, you see that they are more and more connected. And it's extremely difficult to get that collaboration between physical health providers and behavioral health providers. And Talkiatry, whether it's through the technology we're developing, whether it's through you know, our exclusive W2 provider network, um, we think that we can be a, a driving factor in that um, from both an insurance participation standpoint, um, but also from a referral management and, and consultation of care standpoint across the country. Because a lot of some states or counties you know, some counties in the United States don't even have one psychiatrist, right? Jeez. And so how do those people go to get care? And because the licensing requirements across states make it difficult for providers to, to you know, get licensed and maintain their license in a state with a low population, collaborative care is something that makes it even more important. And so it's something that, again, you know, Takayatri is playing the long game on, right? Because it's not something that's been significantly developed at this time. So we're ahead of the curve. We're focused on it. Um, and we have to make sacrifices in other areas of the business to focus on this that other people may decide they don't want to do or is not beneficial. And, and um, I think that that is kind of where you would see Talkiatry in the future, which is you would say, listen, these guys really were a driving force behind the integration of behavioral health care and physical health care um, as we know it. Robert, where can people go to learn more about Talkiatry and also connect with you if they'd like to as well? 
Hawkeyetree.com is the best place, best place to do it. Um, we've been fortunate enough to to continue to get you know media out uh, and be mentioned in a, in, in a bunch of different um, press articles, of course. And a lot of that is Dr. Georgia Guevaras and and you know her providing insight uh, on kind of topical things, you know, on different kind of um, blogs or, or medical kind of reports and journals and things like that. So. Um, trying to understand conditions and what's going on today and how COVID is affecting us and things. Um, you know, Googling Dr. Georgia Guevara, you'll find some topical kind of things, but um, going to the Talk IHU website, of course, is the best to learn about our providers. Um, and if you want to learn even more, you know, you can make an, you can make an appointment online. So um, I think those are, those are the best places for sure. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.